for the First Strike Podcast. This is Detective Carr on the case on the First Strike Podcast with Derek, Andy, and Elliot. Sweet cast just after Worlds. And we will get right straight right to it. No, no weird intros or anything. Let's go straight to Worlds. Javier Dominguez ended up taking down the event. And... Um, but let's talk about the event itself first. Elliot, I heard that you caught most of it. I, I saw some of it. I saw some of the top four, but, but you saw most of it uh, across the weekend? Yeah, I watched a bit of the day one draft uh, while I was at work. Granted, not paying too much attention, but, you know, Dominary Limited, always sweet. Uh, paid most attention to the Constructed, which is like, it was kind of lame seeing a bunch of black red mirrors a bunch of times in a row, but like, you know, there was some variety. We got to see some Turbo Fog action. We got to see, you know, that mono blue deck, which is really sweet to see. You know, I really wish that we could explore it further, but, you know, end of the standard format, can't see too much more of it. Uh, I thought the whole tournament was sweet, though. You know, it was, like, super well-produced, which is something that, like, hasn't been the case in the past. You know, they had new music, tons of animations and slides. I, I thought it was a success, all things considered. So I only caught the top four where uh, they, they started introducing uh, Greg and, and Ben Stark, and then they had this almost, I guess, WWE esports type entrance. Uh, was it the same feel throughout the weekend, or was it just the top four? Well, throughout the whole weekend, they had like a ton of really high production quality stuff in terms of like uh, the transitions. They had like as I said, new music going on the entire time. It just felt very professional, which is, you know, not something that can be said, certainly of like the Grand Prix production. Uh, you know, maybe Pro Tours are getting a little closer to what we saw, but like this was just the next level, you know, like all of the, all of the like cuts in between where they were doing deck techs and talking to players seemed like, you know, really well produced. They like had everything no hiccups, you know, sometimes during, during the Pro Tour, we see, like, skip ahead a slide during a deck tech, you know, all that sort of stuff. There was just, everything went smoothly, which is, you know, pretty sad that that's where my bar is. But, you know, the way the Magic content is, it was great. Yeah, I saw, it was not only the, the crazy entrance, all the text that they would put up, and all the, the how they, they would cut between different uh, scenes was really different. Significant, it felt significantly different. Uh, than previous uh, times. And Derek, uh, did you catch much of the uh, event outside of just knowing that uh, you were right about the standard format? Uh, yeah, I watched the majority of it. I basically watched it all. Um, I stayed at home, and uh, I agree with Elliot that it was sort of the next level, but I really disagree that it was done well. Um, I actually think that they botched it, considering that this was their first showing of uh, their new, like, sort of professional look at the way they do, I guess, higher level events from now on. That's where I assume that, that that's what they're going to do from now on. Um, they, they just screwed up a lot of things. I think they tried to show uh, the enter the battlefield about um, Luis Salvato. And there was a huge technical problem. The audio wasn't connected properly. It, it sounded like a robot, like the, the voice was doubling and it wouldn't run. And they like tried to premiere and it didn't work. And then they, they, uh, they, there was a couple other things too. I think they tried to uh, click to Mar uh, Maria, it's her name, uh, a couple times and her audio wasn't plugged in properly or it was picking up something else. And it was just like, 
pretty bad, like specifically when they have the end of the battlefield thing. And it's very, I think it's very important for their brand that they have like a documentary series on these players. And then the first time they show it, it just doesn't work at all. And it's supposed to be like a, at least a five minute segment. To me, it seemed very choppy specifically for worlds. They also didn't promote it. Uh, they, they didn't really, it didn't seem to me like there was enough information on the players. Um, it just wasn't good enough, not to mention the other things that I'm sure we can bring up later in the cast, but, uh, it, it seemed to me like a lot more work could have been done and it was still better than their last, uh, broadcasts, which is like, if you didn't watch it and you haven't watched past ones, it sounds unbelievable, but trust me, it is very believable. <laughs> so yeah, I do sorry, I do agree that it wasn't perfect, but I think it was a step up. You know, like the the interviews with players they held in between rounds at the news desk, you know, it wasn't a sweaty player just after finishing his round. It was really, you know, they had well thought out questions, they had everything set up, and I thought it was like in terms of a, a total broadcast experience, yes, I had its hiccups. Were there less hiccups than normal? Maybe, maybe not. But the overall production quality, I think, was like a huge step up. And I think that continuing along this trend, the coverage of Magic in the future could be very good. I don't know. I'm just not sold on the whole idea of like, oh, they did an okay job this time. They get away with one. It's like, nah, they've been doing a bad job for so long. They do a mediocre job this time and do something that's actually kind of cool, like having Mangucci in the booth for a bit and having uh, some other well-spoken players in the booth for a bit, that was refreshing. It was nice to hear their opinion and have a personal connection with Mangucci. Um, the one thing I did not like was when they did the questions with Huey and uh, Carlos Romao, and they were asking them like very personal questions about their team and stuff, and they asked Huey, who's the tallest player, and then they asked Romao, who the widest player is. and. I'm a very small individual, so that sort of thing doesn't affect me at all. But I can very easily see how that could come off very abrasive and uh, just a very poor undertone of the whole thing, especially at the World Championships. I get it was supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, and Carlos Romao is a very bubbly individual. Seems to me like he took it very well, but I just can't get behind that sort of sentiment, even if it was supposed to be a joke in a very professional uh area uh so i just think there was there's so many things that i could go on and on about uh i would have to rewatch it though i wonder when they shot the like i said i only ended up watching the the, the finals these because they did a quick uh ben stark video that had to have been put together not not i felt like it, it couldn't have been put together before the event like when right before the top four i don't know if you know what i'm talking about elliot where, where he talks about his his role there uh how excited he is to play against the best players and, and stuff okay i guess maybe i have to go back to see if it if he said anything that was not generic but i thought that was a really good intro clip and uh but still still lots of things to improve i think uh Ultimately, that's what Derek is saying, but a significant step up overall, I guess. No? <laughs> somewhere in between. We're somewhere in between. I thought, from what I saw, I thought that the production was a cut above, but again, I didn't see the whole thing, and, and uh, I'll take Derek's word that there's still a lot of 
of work to be done. Um, so what, what do you think about the ultimate winner, the, the final deck list, the, the red, black aggro? Um, it was disappointing to see, like, when I watched, like, my first match was Ben Stark losing in three where in the game one and game three, he was stuck on one land because he decided to keep uh, a one-lander um, because that, that model red deck has a lot of low drops, so it can work off of two lands very easily. Um, but he never really drew a second land until much later, so he, he got crushed game one and game three. It was, it was really easy. And I don't think game two he had much of a strong draw either. Um, so that was anticlimactic and disappointing for me. But, uh, yeah, yeah. what do you think about the, the standard configuration? Was there any surprise in you, like, one-ofs that surprised you, Derek? Um, I was very surprised at how, in my opinion, how poorly some of the decks were built. Not only did Ben Stark bring an unplayable to the event, he somehow top forward with it. Uh, for that to happen, I think you have to run pretty hot. And it, it showed in the top four. Like, of course, he... He did miss his second land, but games one and three, he kept a one-lander. How many one-landers can you keep in an event and expect to get there? Like, come on, man. Like, I get that you're good at draft, but, like, what's going on? Like, it, it, blew, it blew me away. Even if he hit his second land, he probably is still just dead to Gregor's. And, like, it's, it's not even close, right? His deck is, like, unplayable in a completely red backfield. I don't know how he would ever beat uh, Blue-White Gift. His, his deck just doesn't have a fast enough clock if your opponent has it on turn four and you have to have the abrade um, and you don't have any like discard spells post board. Um, not to mention that I think that Javier and Gregor's deck, just their sideboard wasn't built correctly. It seemed to me like having Karn in your sideboard was really loose and having the Eldest Reborn was also trash. Of course, the Eldest Reborn was pretty good against, uh, or pretty good for uh, Javier game four. But if you watch game three, he has five mana and doesn't play the Eldest Reborn that's been rotting in his hand since his opener for multiple turns, and it just doesn't do anything. To me, if you're playing Eldest Reborn against a deck with Scrappy, Scrounger, Rekindling Phoenix, when do you ever expect to resolve this card? So that just means you have every single removal spell you play up to that point has to be perfect. So not only do you have to run extremely hot, but then you also have to get rid of a, a problematic creature that you wouldn't be able to get rid of otherwise. And on the third mode, you have to get back a card that you would impact the game and that you couldn't just replace with the Elders Reborn in, in the first place. So what I'm saying is like, if the Elders Reborn was a Chandra, would it just be better than having a Chandra in play on turn four or on turn five or for multiple turns? To me, like bringing the Elders Reborn against a Scrap Heap Scrounger deck is one of the best ways to lose because they just sacrifice their Scrap Heap Scrounger, discard their Scrap Heap Scrounger. You can never return a creature from their bin because of a Scrap Heap Scrounger. It, to me, like, the World Championships, all these deck lists just had so many flaws in them, and I was just blown away. Obviously, like, 60% of the room was red-black, but none of the decks were built properly. I don't even know how Owen brought Blue-White Gift. We just saw Shahar get slaughtered in top four also. Like, it, it shouldn't have been close, and it wasn't really close. I, I, I hate to sound like I'm better than these players, but, like, come on, guys. Like, th this is the world's. So many things. I love it. Hey, these are the best players in the room, but they might not always make the best uh, deck choices. Uh, Elliot, did you want to chime in? Well, when I was watching the top four, I think I like stopped watching when Shahar was up a game, game one, and like I thought he was really far ahead, game two. I thought he was. I thought that was it. 
And then I come back like maybe 20 minutes later and he's down two one and losing. And I just thought to myself, if, if the blue white gift deck can lose that game, and if the blue white gift deck can just get slaughtered post board by this red black deck, how did he have any business bringing it to the tournament? Blue white is not a good matchup for red black. Like if you're playing blue white and you think it's a good matchup like red black is you're just wrong. And uh, I think a lot of people didn't understand that Owen and Shahar specifically. And I think Owen and Shahar, Oh, Shahar top four, but we watched one of his matches. Um, I think Owen's record shows that the deck is not good. You just die. Bef- you either have to have it on turn four and they don't have to have the abrade or you're dead. And then post board, they bring in seven discard spells and you lose. And yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's all good. But like, even Owen during his interviews multiple times, and obviously his personality is super cocky. He said that this is like the most prepared he's ever been for the tournament. He's a lock to win it. Pen pen him in on day one, he said. You know? And then he just ends up 5-9, which he probably had at least a buy in there. It's not not a good look. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. And uh, I've 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 played that match a lot online because people think, oh, blue white gift. You just play six six angel. How does uh, red black ever beat this? It's like okay, I'll just go Beaumont Courier into scrap heap into chain whirler into kill your angel or kill your god pharaoh's gift, and you're at four on turn four. Like then they board in this removal plan with where they have like uh, doctor arrest baffling end, uh, and you sort of look at them and you go, okay, how are you ever going to put a god pharaoh's gift into play when none of these cards put a god pharaoh's gift into play and my entire deck is full of just discard spells and efficient threats like how are you going to beat this and then they don't and so how did you ever think this was a good matchup it's like oh you just naturally did it every turn on turn four wow that must be really nice like go buy a lottery ticket come on red black is just far and away the best deck and i don't know why people up to this point were not playing it I, I love you, Derek. Keeping it real, keeping it real, and I, I think you made a lot of good points. So, just it's it's. I think it just brings me back to a time where I did basically net deck without thinking much, and and then after there's some card choices in the sideboard that I didn't like, and and then I ended up playing the games and I hated those cards, and then like why why did I copy it card for card? So. Uh, definitely reminds me of those times where uh, even if they're pros, they're not necessarily uh, have tested like every single different matchup. Or sometimes they have cards in their sideboard that they just ended up testing maybe a few days, or they just had a good theoretical feel for it. So um, yeah, can't just assume that they have like the perfect deck list. Even though if they're super prepared, there might have been some last minute changes or last minute metagame choices that they had thought. Um, yeah, ultimately, um, I'm gonna. I'm thinking Brian Godley, our, our old pal, who tweeted out that now that uh, we have a world champ, uh, YC would be wise to promote the crap out of him, like plaster it, uh, his face everywhere, I guess, uh, promote him. Uh, it's an issue that we brought up when, on, on First Strike a while ago when I felt when BBD was champion. No one cared, and, and no one knew. Like no one, no one really knew. And actually, now that I think about it, I think the world champ should just like sh- they should be brought back the next year just to have 
what, the thing that I said was it's hard to build up personalities in games of where, where there's enough variance because you actually want to see someone dominate so that these casual fans can, can rally behind whether it be Roger Federer in tennis, like crushing everyone, like any of these sports, they have to come back. So, you know, I'd be all for like a defending champion coming back so that there's some sort of consistency for, or some sort of storyline for the casual fan to be able to cheer around. And uh, so, so Andy, you didn't get to catch much of the event, right? Uh, I did not watch any of it. Uh, as I just assumed it was going to be sort of a crapshoot and uh, <laughs> boring the Jerry, format, <laughs> the boring format, the whole Jerry thing, which I'm sure we'll touch on. And uh, it was also my birthday weekend. So I did other stuff instead. Yeah, we will talk about the Jerry thing right now. Shout out to P. Sams in the chat. Uh, we go ahead, Derek. Just say happy birthday. Happy belated birthday. Happy That's birthday, my man. Um, so, me and P. Sands, we're, we're here in DreamHack, Montreal. We, we had dinner with, Jerry, late night dinner with Jerry while watching uh, the UFC. And the, the conversation came out with the world. It's like, what are you going to play? He's, I, I even asked him, <laughs> was he going to work with anybody? And he was, he was staying at my place. He's like, ah, the, the format's already solved. You know, he doesn't, doesn't need to work with anyone. And now I know, like, at that point, because DreamHack was just two, three weeks ago, he had already thought about protesting world. So he was just giving me, like, these canned answers. Uh, so he didn't tell, uh, tell me or, or P-Sounds anything. So when this happened, it was a, a pure shock, uh, honestly, that he would protest a world. So he ended up, uh, I guess he flew him to Vegas uh, to attend Worlds. and. He decided not to play the event, and he posted, uh, he tweeted on Twitter, on his account, uh, linked to a huge Reddit post about his reasonings for protesting, and a lot of it is stuff that uh, me and him have talked about on this show with with you guys, with Brian, uh, certain issues of the Pro Tour. And I'm not going to go through all of it. You should definitely check out uh, his Reddit post. I'll read some of it. So uh, how he describes the current state, Wizards of the Coast does not pay professional players a living rate, wage. This in and of itself is not a requirement. However, if the goal is to sell the dream of playing on the Pro Tour, there should be something in place to make that worth achieving. Between qualifying becoming more and more difficult, especially with the goalposts continually changing, the lack of reward at the top the message currently being sent is don't waste your time. Um, and then he goes on to talk about what he'd like changed. He has four points here. The first one is, is star build, something that we're, we're all huge uh, proponents of. Two is hire co- commentators who can follow the game or are familiar with the formats and can provide engaging commentary. Again, a, a, an issue uh, we've brought up, and, and that's why I praise Eduardo as someone who is super experienced at the format that he's commentating on, which is uh, definitely He's definitely different than, than many of the comments. Not all of them. A lot of them, obviously, Cedric. We, we praise Cedric and, and P. Sully all the time here. Uh, three, create more Pro Tour invites. And four, I'd like Wasi to value the working relationships they have with partners and various community members. Their actions have indicated that they feel like everyone is replaceable, but that's only true if you don't care about your product and our community being the best it could possibly be. And when he did this, everybody was 
praising him, thanking him for the sacrifice. Um, of course, not everyone could be put into the position to sacrifice. I think people calculated that the EV or minimum EV that he would get for this event is about $12,000. So he was giving that up. And there was even a movement among the pro players to compensate him for that. But uh, from what I've heard, that he's declined because that wasn't the point. Uh, he's more than willing to do that. Um, Andy, your reaction. Your, let's go to you. Your first reaction when you heard about this. All right, so my instant reaction was, oh, my God, I can't believe he's doing this. What a hero. And then, like, I read his reasoning. It was well thought out. And then I saw that part of the reason he didn't say anything till like, uh, the day of was so that they couldn't replace him and, like, sweep it under the rug. And I thought that was a, a very well thought out idea. And I think it, it served its purpose because everyone's going to ask, why are there 23 players there? And then someone will explain to them why there are 23 players there. Uh, upon talking with people who are much smarter than I am about the, this kind of thing, they uh, actually thought that he could have done it better. Like, he could have done things better. And I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that, like, he's not going to, like, perfectly know what he should do in this kind of situation. It's like sort of like a politics situation. But uh, what, what they told me is uh, they told me that he thinks the players should unionize in, and uh they should do these things sort of together so it's not just one person doing an act. It's not actually as strong as it would be. Jerry is one of the few people who is such a big name that it is a very strong act, but it could have been so much stronger if, like, all the players in – a bunch of the players in the event are wearing, like, I don't know, pins on their shirt, like, about Jerry, or they're, like, showing some solidarity. What they really need is the solidarity to show that they're all the pros are on the same page because – one pro is not nearly as powerful as many pros, and that's why I think that they need to unionize in in whatever aspect in order to to gain more power and garner more power to to combat what Watsi is doing to them, similar to what people do when they form unions in a workforce. Like all the power and all the money is with Wizards of the Coast, and even though they're using utilizing these pro players just as a big large company would utilize workers they're not getting paid appropriately they're not getting any help with marketing themselves appropriately and i think that they need to band together in order to better the circumstances for everyone and it shouldn't just have to be on jerry to do a crazy selfless act like this and i think if they all banded together and showed some solidarity aside from like, Oh, we'll throw Jerry some money to compensate him for this. I'm talking like be vocal about why you support Jerry and why you're all in this together and start like sh showing solidarity. Doesn't even need me necessarily all of you not showing up to events or all of you not doing what Jerry did, but it means sh making sure that wizards of the coast knows that all of you support Jerry's cause and it'll get it talked about a lot more than just one player not showing up to Worlds. Well, I do think that what he did was very good. I think he, he it could be done better, and I don't think it's on Jerry necessarily to be the only person to do that, but I think some collaboration with other pros and other big names is what needs to happen to actually take Magic's pro player scene to the next step taken more seriously. Hmm. Whoa. That's from the other guys. Any thoughts? Derek, Derek, you want to chime in? Elliot? Ah! What? Ah! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, 
No, uh, Andy, Andy pretty much hit right on the head. Um, I watched it because I wanted to watch the Worlds to see what the standard decks were and uh, really really look at the draft format for guilds. I wanted to get a little prep for Montreal in. Not great prep, but good to see the cards. Um, I think that Jerry, Jerry did a good job um, in a sense like he hit it. And it was very surprising to everyone. Like, I was surprised. I was like, whoa, he's really doing something that I would never expect. And for the most part, like, World is a big event. Like, I remember when Patrick Chapin said he won a pro tour so he qualified for Worlds. To me, that's, like, mind-blowing that somebody would give up that opportunity to really make a big statement like this. And, uh... It, it just really shows how much he, he cares about hitting this, uh, hitting this home. And it's huge. It's really, really big. I think a lot of people don't really understand what he's doing in a sense. Like he gave up a lot of equity, like we said, uh, $12,000 ish. Um, and a lot of people think he's just whining or like, they don't understand that wizards is just sort of like suing their players and, uh, basically monetizing their uh, their names. Uh, I really liked what he did. I thought it was really cool. Um, as for unions, I don't know if that's possible in Magic the Gathering. Um, it's just not something that's really applicable in my mind. I don't know exactly how you would uh, implement something like that. Like in a workplace, uh, when they started unions, basically people were like, yeah, we don't want to die. In Magic, it's like, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't have put your life into professional matches gathering. And that's it. Like, we live in a, a pretty heavy cap- capitalist society. I'm, I'm not saying that they've made bad choices with their lives. I'm just saying, like, most people will literally just say, go find a better job or something, right? Like, to me, uh, the whole idea of a union is that the, the, the employees have no other option or the employers have no other option. And you, you build a union. Uh, I don't think that would happen. But I could just be terribly wrong. And in a couple of years, we could see professional Magic player unions. Yeah, so to, to elaborate sort of uh, and go on what you're talking about is so I think that Watsi does need some of these pros. Admittedly, a lot of the pros, unfortunately, are relatively replaceable because there's a lot of pros and a lot of them have pretty pretty good personalities and are fun and interesting to watch. But when the biggest of the bigs, and I think Jerry is one of those people, do this kind of thing, Watsi does need these people. You see the tokens that they give out in the new packs? They got Jerry's face all over them. Like on the tips and tricks cards, they got other people's face all over them because they are trying to sell the dream, play the game, see the world. That's like one of their things. And I think I, I think that Watsi needs them more than they think. And it, the thing is, what, what a unionizing would do is the threat of like the other side of it, of them not doing this or uh, choosing not to uh, continue with this venture is going to monetarily affect Watsi. And that's something Watsi has to think about. And like, it's a bad look. It's a bad look to a lot of people. There's a lot of people who like would think about the dream or think about that kind of stuff and would think about that's not what they want to pursue anymore. And I know it's just, it's just a car game, but it's a car game that a lot of people care a lot about. And I wanted to just talk about how, uh, so I really commend what Jerry did. And I don't want to sound like I'm saying what he did was wrong or what he did was bad. What he did was actively good. But 
when he does it this way, it sort of makes it about him, which I know is not exactly not what he wants to do. He doesn't want to make it about him. He's one of the most selfless people I've ever heard speak. But what it does is it kind of does make it about him. And now he's like sort of the hero of the magic community instead of it being more about the problems of uh, the professional magic scene. And that's what uh, banding together and all showing solidarity would actually just have a lot of heads meeting the same message instead of all the focus is on sort of Jerry now, which is a lot of responsibility for one guy. Like he doesn't have to, to take all this on and it could be stronger with the solidarity and the union. And it could get built into like the benefits of gold and platinum, right? It doesn't need to be a union in the sense that you're, everyone's used to. It could just be like gold and platinums negotiate for better things. Like with maybe the pro committee or whatever they're called will help with that. But like more benefits need to go with gold and platinum because those are the people that they really want to keep in the game. And maybe it's just platinums. Maybe those are the people that they need the most. And those are the people who should actually pursue it as a living. So maybe up platinum, lower everything else. I'm not sure, but that's kind of an idea in itself as well. I was going to say something. I'm not sure. Oh, yes. Uh, I entirely think that the majority of pros, even the big name ones, are very replaceable. And I think that that is proven in the fact that we spoke that uh, BBD was the world's champion a couple years ago, and it's just sort of swept under the rug. Or everybody's top eight at a Grand Prix and it's just sort of swept under the rug. Like even winning a pro tour now, like I can tell you who in the who won the past couple pro tours, but to me, like the fact that they're adding six pro tours is really top inning a pro tour sort of like loses its appeal. It's still very difficult and very uh respectable, but I don't think that the average player, and that's the people that we're not making this show for, like the ADH players don't care. They want to see uh, the professor, they want to see Wedge. If you got rid of those guys, you would have an issue, I think, more if you got rid of a Jerry or if you got rid of an LSV. Maybe LSV is a bad example because he plays both roles. But Or if you got rid of like an Owen or a Huey, right? Like these guys can step away from the game and you still have these YouTubers that are making content every single week and reaching out to their fans and are getting flown to these events not to play in them, but to just be a personality there. To me, those people are a lot bigger and Wizards of the Coast needs a lot more of those people than your pros. And I think that shows with the fact that they did not promote Worlds. They did not promote last year's winner. Uh, they did not talk about how Javier Dominguez lost the finals last year up until he made top four. Uh, to me, that's, that's kind of insane. Uh, there's just a huge disconnect, I think, with what Wizards wants of these high-level events and what they... Uh, what people think they want or what the people like us competitive players want. So. Did you want to get in there, Elliot? Yeah. I just wanted to mention that kind of to counteract what Andy was saying about how we needed solidarity or the pros needed solidarity with what Jerry did. I think that the way he did it was actually very smart. You know, he kept it under wraps and only announced it. I think he said he emailed someone from wizards of the coast, like 40 minutes before the tournament began. And he made his post on Reddit, I don't know, 30 minutes before the tournament began. And that was the first pretty much anyone knew about it. Uh, I think that was a big point because that's what created the impact of the movement. The fact that there was one player missing and, you know, there wasn't half the field missing. There wasn't four players missing. It just 
gave it so much more of an impact. And also it didn't put pressure on anyone else. We talked about how he was giving up $12,000 in equity. Can you really, from his perspective, be asking each of the other players in that tournament, give up your $12,000? And what does, that, what does that say about the players that don't give it up? Is, is wearing a badge that says, I support Jerry, even enough to show, you know, this is a legitimate cause? Instead, he kind of shell-shocked everyone, including the players. And we got some, I think, pretty amazing takes on Twitter about even, you know, players who were in the tournament saying, you know, I had no idea. Like, we had no idea until someone got the buy kind of thing. It was just such a shock. It really added the value of it. And also, it didn't, it didn't put pressure on anyone else, which I think is very important. You're talking about building a union. The union is something you, usually you can opt into, you know? There's not... Uh, you're not obligated to do anything if you're not part of the union. Uh, and we saw a bunch of the solidarity that you talked about, not in people boycotting the event, which you know may be a plus, maybe a negative. We saw people chiming in on Twitter. We saw people writing articles. Matt Sperling had an article up within like an hour, just completely dissecting it, uh, giving more reach to Jerry's cause. And I think that that is what you want in terms of solidarity. That's what you want people sharing it, sharing their opinions, and not just four or five people out of a field saying, you know, I believe in this cause, because what does that say about the remaining people in the field? Does, do the 19 players who chose to compete in Worlds not agree with Jerry Thompson? And that, I feel that could have cheapened it. All right, so... First of all, almost every union I've ever heard of, everyone has to buy in in order to like work at whatever position they are. From my experience, maybe you have a different experience of unions. But um, so second is so I don't think it cheapens what Jerry did if he tells all the other competitors he's going to do it, asks if they support what he's going to do, and he doesn't ask them to like cop out of the event. Maybe what they do is they like just some sign of solidarity, anything. Imagine how powerful it would have been if every player had a bracelet that said, like, not pay the pros, but something along those lines. And Jerry sat out, and Jerry's thing was just like, pay the pros, I'm not playing. And then everyone wore a bracelet that said, pay the pros. All of them. That is much more powerful. And then on, like, you're still going to get the same takes on Twitter. I don't think anything, like, people's reactions are really going to change too much like, because it was a lot of people from outside of the world's field, but if Jerry just went up to them and said, guys, this is what I'm going to do. I want, I want to help make everything better for all of us. Here's an easy way that you guys could do it. Just show that you're, you're, you're sort of with the cause. And I think a lot of them will be with the cause. I understand that some of them won't be, and it kind of would look bad on them and it puts pressure on them. But I think that as a world's competitor, and someone who's competing at the highest level of magic and wants to improve the the like the situation for all the professionals i think it is something that they would support especially when it could be any simple sign of solidarity they don't have to sit out of the event they don't have to give up the equity just anything that's like pay the pros and not make it kind of so much about jerry but so much about all of them together and like the jerry thing would bring a lot more eyeballs to it because there's a missing player and people would ask, why is the player missing? And then he'd be like, wow, all these pros have paid the pros on their, on their wristband or whatever. And you're like, wow, all these pros are, they're sick of it. All of the pros are sick of it. And that's what they'll start thinking. And then people will think 
well, that that's more pressure on Watsi from my point of view. Alrighty, well, lots of good thoughts. Lots of good thoughts. Powerful thoughts here. Um, so he 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 ended up, uh, and now he's he's. I think there's. I just checked that on Channel Fireball. LSV interviewed Jerry, and um, well, he's always he's always there to respond to people on Twitter. Uh, if you have any questions uh, for him. And I, Andy, do you think what he did will, will do something though? Do you think this will have a positive impact overall? I, I really wanted to, but I do not think so. And uh, it's sad that I, I feel that way. I think, I think he did a, a fantastic thing. It's just when, when you're doing such an enormous act, I think even more planning and even more foresight to, to try and, and maybe some talking with other people about it who might know more about that kind of thing than you do. I know I'm relatively uneducated on uh, what the best approach would be. And I talk to people who I think are much smarter than me in, in the, in this kind of uh, situation. And this is what they told me that they think he should have done. And I trust their opinion. And maybe if there were some people that Jerry confided in who like knew what to do, or I knew what to do better or knew something better. I don't know. I want it to be better because I want it to work. And I'm so afraid that what he did is not going to work, even though his intentions are, he's the purest man we've ever met and we don't deserve him. But. <laughs> Derek. <laughs> okay. Purest man we've ever met. Love it. Uh, let's, let's, let's move on from this topic. Um, I, but I just, yeah, I do hope that there, there's something good to come out of it. I think that he did bring up a lot of good points. I just don't see how um, they're going to do it. Like, they, he, meant, he criticized the, the Silver Showcase that, that I think a lot of people, the majority of people, uh, agreed was not a great use of resources and instead could have used it, used that money to better coverage or star build as he's talked about, but I do. Hmm. Cause it's like at some point, even I'm trying to find something that's really similar to this. Um, I always go back to poker because it's the game with, with the variants where they really tried to push Chris Moneymaker when he won, cause he qualified online and then they were hyping him. And that, that the flood, like there was a flood of, Online poker players once once they found out that he won the world champ uh, the the main event and that he did it through online qualifying, but then subsequently every other year that that someone has won it's like some obviously someone different and they I don't know who who's I know some companies like poker stars have tried to to star build some of them. Uh, but there are some that we've never heard of, and it, it. I think I'm thinking about when Derek talked about like all these GP winners. You know, Robert Lombardi. He won a GP. Like, does anyone actually care anymore? Um, Robert Anderson. I, I keep naming my friends. Obviously, um, John Stern has won. I don't know how many anymore. Uh, obviously, Alex Hayne has won. And, Edgar has won one. <laughs> Edgar has won one. Like everybody. Yeah, I think the, the money maker thing is a good example. I, I watched a documentary on that. 
on how they, they basically built him up from nothing. And then like you, you wait a couple years and you find out that he has like a huge gambling addiction and he's like also an alcoholic. And they're like, huh, maybe we shouldn't have uh, really showed the world to this guy. Cause he's kind of not what you want in your poker room at all. Like you don't want the government looking at this guy and being like, this is who they want playing poker. Right. And just like a real big oversight just because this guy randomly spiked a poker event. It was so wild. Yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. And that, the game, the game of poker doesn't belong to a company. It's not like Magic that, that belongs to Watsi. But they, they, I guess different companies who are like poker stars or Full Tilt at the time who, who had uh, these online poker sites, they had incentive to star build to get people to want to sign up, deposit 20 bucks or whatever, and start playing. And it is interesting that I know a lot of poker pros because of them being on TV and all those commercials, like Daniel Negreanu is probably one of the most uh, famous players, if not the most famous player uh, in the world, along with Phil Hellmuth, to to even casual people might even know who they are. And uh, yeah, but, but of course they had the advantage of being able to push that, being on TV shows, like poker after dark. At one point poker was everywhere, not anymore, but even you're sitting at a sports bar, even these days, you're sitting at a bar, they, they'll put like, if there's no sports shows on, there's no game currently, it's going to be like a poker game uh, on. And I, I also think back now to what Andy said about uh, a lot of these platinum pros, a lot of them are replaceable. Like who cares about some of them? Um, I did want to, oh yeah, I did want to, before we move on to, to Guilds of Ravnica to review the Hall of Fame voting, um, as expected, everyone expected these two to make it. Seth Manfield and Li Shitian ended up being the only two to make it to the Hall of Fame. Um, based on Twitter, if you were reading Twitter, you would know that that was the general direction. The majority of voters were going. And Chris Pakula, once again, godfather of Derek Pite, missed it. Uh, 40, 40% again coming close and would have... It's always like the kick in the teeth because he would have made it in under the old rules. Uh, I was not too surprised to see. I know, I know Jerry was, was not likely to make it, but I knew that he's someone that would eventually make it. And uh, I, I did think that there was momentum online. So to see him with 22.18% of the votes, he was sixth behind uh, Manfield, Lishi Chan, Pakula. Herbaholz, Yukihiro, and there you have it, Jerry Thompson, number six. I think it will eventually make it. And uh, then followed by Brad Nelson, uh, Margin Liebert, Tomohiro Saito, Carlos Romao, uh, Ikeda, Justin Gary. And that's why after listening to the Pro Points podcast, when Sam Black thought that he and Jerry had similar resumes and he couldn't really understand why people would vote for for him uh jerry over him but me like i i for me it wasn't comparable it just wasn't comparable uh to the the community side of it and the star power um all the deck building that jerry's done over the years all the scg that he's dominated that i think really pushed his brand in, in terms of the casual there's a lot of casual scg viewers and I just felt his star power was way bigger than Sam's. And uh, even if his, the results are similar and, and we see that reflected in the vote. Um, 
Any surprises for you, Derek, that, that your godfather uh, couldn't make it? No, no. I expected Seth to make it. Uh, I expected Lee Shi Chen to make it. Um, I mean, to me, this year, the ballot seemed pretty boring. Uh, I think I read quite a few things like, Maybe we should reevaluate uh, what the ballot is and what the parameters are to get on. And Magic's getting bigger and older. To me, I just like even last year, I wasn't really excited when was it Martin Yuza and uh, was the other one? I don't even remember. I don't even remember uh, who got into the Hall of Fame. And like we're like five years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, like Owen got in or whatever. Right? It was like. That was really cool to me. And now it's just like, yeah, whatever, Hall of Fame. People are going to put really bad opinions on the internet. I get to find out who has really bad opinions. Uh, Raptor, that's who it was. Yeah. I just don't care. Don't really care about the Hall of Fame. So not surprising, not interesting to me. Maybe next year we'll bring more drama. <laughs> I don't know. Like, this is... I forget how, how well Herbal Holtz did in the votes the previous year, but we're getting to a point where he, his results are clearly ahead of a lot of people that are left because of his four uh, PT topics and a win. And wouldn't be surprised depending on how, I'm not sure how strong the people coming in next year to do, like the people that are going to be newly eligible. I don't know. So. Um, but again, no surprise. Congratulations to Seth and congratulations to Li Shitian. And uh, we'll see you next year. Um, let's get down to some guilds of Ravnica, unless you guys think I forgot about anything. Uh, if I didn't, Andy, take it away with let, let's just go straight with some of our top five picks from the new set. What should people? Be keeping their eyes on as they start cracking packs. <laughs> oh, baby. Uh, I was pretty excited to do this. So what we've done is uh, we've all picked in, in secrecy our top five constructed cards from whatever this Ravnica set is. And uh, I don't know what the best way to do this, if we should go one at a time. So uh, I'm just going to say one of my cards. The first card I put on my list is Notion Rain. So that's one blue-black, surveil two, then draw two cards. Notion Rain deals two damage to you. So it's the new Read the Bones. But it's better. A little, little harder to cast because you have to play blue, but it is better. Thoughts? I forgot about that card. It would definitely probably make my list. Yeah, I knew your list would suck. Hey, what? That was really rude. Why did you say something like that? I thought I was muted, my bad. Oh, what? No, you didn't. That's just a lie. For, for sake of argument, I think the new Glimmer of Genius is better. But I do think the Notion Rain is good. Well, to my next card, the new Glimmer of Genius, Chemistry's Insight. Yeah, that's Three and a blue, draw two cards. With jumpstart, which means when it's in your graveyard, you can ex or you can uh, discard a card from your hand, in addition to paying its cost, exile it and cast it again. So it's uh, sort of a glimmer of genius, a, like a little worse on the front end, but it's got a it's got a back end. So that's pretty good. 
I think this card is very good. I think it's going to be the backbone to control decks, much as Glimmer was, much as Illumination sort of was. Did it make your list, Elliot? No, and, and you knew that going into that, because Annie and I kind of, we compared notes going into this, and after, after making our lists, I will say, and Annie just yelled at me for almost 10 minutes straight calling me an idiot, because our lists didn't overlap at all. We couldn't not disagree. I think the cards that Andy has on his list are all very good, but just not as good as mine. I re- like, I'm, I'm, I'm really judging your card evaluation right now because the two cards we've talked about so far are like going to be like the fourth and fifth most played cards in the format. All right, so I think the way we're going to do this is I'm going to do all my top five. We'll discuss it as we go, and then we'll move on to uh, Derek and hopefully never Elliot. Quick question, Andy. Is this... This is. Do you think it's better than Glimmer of Genius? Uh, it's the same power level as sort of how I feel about it. Like, Energy Mattered and Scry 2 is pretty good. I think, like, being up a card on the back end is, like, I don't maybe, think it's worth a, maybe worth a bit more or a bit less, depending on decks. I think, uh, I think because Glimmer of Gen- the new Glimmer has instant speed... And you can play it the same with counter spells. Like one of them is going to go into a mid range deck, and one of them is going to go into a control deck. And I think the instant. What talk about this is instant speed. Read the bones is instant speed. No, nah, we're talking about chemistry's insight as the new glimmer. Yeah, that card is instant speed, right? Yeah, we're talking about that versus glimmer of genius. Oh, I thought we were comparing read the bones versus glimmer of genius. That's nah, all right. I'll get you caught up. Okay, thank you. I missed that. Thoughts uh, on better. I, th- I think Glimmer of Genius is worse. All right. Well, I think Glimmer of Genius is much better than this card. I think that <laughs> most of the time, Scrying 2 is worth basically a card, and since you have to discard to Chemistry's Insight anyway, you end up almost net even with Glimmer and have to pay half the mana. <laughs> Yuck. But you get more cards. I look yeah. forward to Elliot's list. Okay, continue. You get more cards. All right, so the next is uh, I had to pick a token Boros card because I looked at all the Boros cards. I was like, well, I'll just pick one. And I picked uh, Tajik Legion's Edge. It looks like it's the most powerful in aggro decks. It looks like it's going to be the most important card for you to draw in your aggro deck. And uh, boy, oh boy, is that card good. So it's one red-white for a 3-2. Has haste. Then under that, it has an, an even more another ability, Mentor. So whenever it attacks, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature with less power. It has another ability. It's uh, prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to other creatures you control. And surely that must be it. Nope. Red, white, Tajik gains first strike until end of turn. It has all of that text on it. That's ludicrous. <laughs> I guess there's not much disagreement uh, in the ranks. Well, it's not on Elliot's list. Okay, it's it's not on my list. I I don't think that that card. I like shock is still in the format. I just don't really care about it. Like it'll get played. It's just it's just not going to be that good. I don't think. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So my my next card is Assassin's Trophy, very easy. Slam dunk. It couldn't possibly not be in someone's list. It's not on Elliot's list? 
No. It's obviously yeah, not on my late, list. Man. You gotta learn to read. You know what this card oh. does, right? Yeah, I'm aware of what it does, like it in Legacy and Modern. Like, we were just, oh, go ahead. I have it on fifth in my list, but it was making the list no matter what. I think that, like, it'll see play in standard. I don't know if you can get away with playing four copies, and it's like auto four of in Legacy and Modern. I don't think the card's bad. I don't know if you can play four in standard, but... Why not? I mean, you you can play four. Like, it, you can just do whatever you... You can play up to four in any constructed format. Those are the rules. If you knew how to read, you might know that. I think it's worse than Brass's Contempt, but I think you still want some of them because like those decks can't like if like i I said this on a previous cast but like an aggro deck is not going to play brass's contempt but an aggro deck will play assassin's trophy and i I think that's what makes assassin's trophy better if it is better that makes sense to me but i mean show me a black green aggro deck historically like black green like we're getting an entire set of like another 250 cards and we're losing like a thousand cards like i I don't know anything about the new format. If, if I knew it, I would love to sell you my ideas and be rich already. But uh, for you just not have it on your list on this raw power level, this card's really good. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad card. Don't get me wrong. But like, as you said, you play four Vrasic's Contempts in your mid-range deck, and then you play some number of Assassin's Trophy. Is it zero? No. Is it two, three? Probably. I really, I really want to know what five cards in the format are better than this card in standard. In the new set, I, like I, I, I want to. I know Andy said we can't listen to your opinion, but I really want to hear it now. All right, so I just wanted to start by saying you are brain dead. It's like you forgot how good Path to Exile was in Standard. Like, so this is un, as unconditional as you can get. The first three words on the goddamn card are destroy target permanent. That's you it. Can't, you can't path it to fairy. Did you know that you can assassin's trophy into fairy? You can hit anything. Well, yeah. Holy crap! I'm getting mad. Except for uh, except for Carney T, but he's he's a good player. Oh, it's like you guys forgot what unconditional removal does to a to a like a mid range deck. It's so important to just like now you can just play four of this for like uh, Brass's contempt and play no other removal. Don't have to worry about it. Planeswalkers, you're dead. Creatures, you're dead. And you just, just play creatures. Just play eight removal and no other removal. Just Why play near the maximum amount of removal and not a bit more. Oh my god. Brain dead. This thing kills anything. Destroy target permanent. It's it's anything. You can hit oh, a it's like a it's like I'm listening to Hooked on Phonics with how much you're repeating yourself. It doesn't make it any better. Alright. So my uh my fifth card is uh, one that uh, Elliot's probably going to uh, go at me uh, for. It's, uh, it's a three-mana counterspell, but it costs one blue-red. Ionize. That, that, that card's bad. That card's not bad, Derek. That card's real bad. The mana is too good for that card to be played. Turn that frown upside down, my friend. You're about to get an introduction to your new counterspell. The so, old. so... So what we have here is a unconditional counterspell that is very easy to cast. Very easy. It's it is worse than the other counterspell, the one blue blue surveil one. It's worse. But it's way easier to cast and for now the mana is not going to be that great. I understand Grixis and Jeskai get double shockland, 
but you don't have to worry about it when you can just play one blue red and especially when you look into the fact that there might be like blue red aggro decks or blue aggro decks that could splash this like not be very much red then the two damage becomes extremely relevant and the fact that it can go in either strategy is what could make this card very powerful and perhaps top five card in the set the fact that everything you just said about that card being good was conditional and then even more conditional on whether the things that it's conditional on are good makes that card bad. Well, the condition is that it counterspells. Well, what are you right, talking about right. conditional? But, but right like, on. like, if I play a Pelt Collector on turn one and you have this stupid counterspell in your hand, would you rather have a counterspell or an Assassin's Trophy? Now, this is where Assassin's Trophy is really good. And much better than this bad counterspell. Because the thing about counterspells is once a spell resolves, or once a spell gets going, like a Teferi, like, you can't counterspell a Teferi once it's in play. So now you have this Assassin's Trophy that does everything, so you don't need these bad blue-red counterspells, uh, and you can just kill your opponent's threats. You know what, Derek? I've done some thinking, and I was just thinking about all of Magic's history and all of the different three-mana counters that have always been playable. And uh, yes, you know what? Bad right. control players think they're good. You you hook you hook a bad control player with one uh, with one three-mana like nobody plays cancel. Why does nobody play cancel? It's like the exact same card as the other three-mana counter spells, right? Like disallows slightly better. Like th- this card might be slightly better. It might be slightly worse. But like slightly worse, get out of here! It is holy. Go to bed. time. It's it's like rare, right? Holy moly! It's Ellie, really hard to get. You're spending like four dollars on this, and there are cancels in the free common box. Eric, it's your turn. Get me out of here. All right, all right. First, I have um, I have Legion War Boss, the two two for three goblin that makes uh, little goblin doorknobs. Uh, so not only is that really good in a red deck. But I could also see it being really good in a red-green deck. You go turn one Land War Elves, turn two Legion War Boss, and you just bring the pain. And it's different than uh, the... What's the other goblin called? The one that makes tokens? Rabble Master. Rabble Master. It doesn't make all your goblins have to attack each turn. It's only conditional on the turn the token comes into play. So you can play this goblin doorknob that makes other goblin doorknobs and Chain Whirler in the same deck. You don't have to suicide your chain whirlers and you make little tokens every turn. So not only can you like power out this guy if you want to really early, but he also swarms the board and he's only one red mana. He's a two, two. So he dies to shock, but he's not legendary. So you can just play as many as you want. It's the cards really, really good. Right. Um, second, I have chemistry. Well, hold on. You got to slow down here. I, I, oh, I have something okay. to say. All right, well... So when it's Tajik, it dies to shock, but your card, when it dies to shock, it's no big deal. You just play more. Yeah, Tajik's legendary. Okay, so if it lives, who cares if it dies to shock? Well, if I have this Goblin Doorknob and play, I can just block with little tokens. Oh my god, you make me sick, dude. It's going to make all your cards better. Tajik doesn't even have First Strike normally. Like, if I just block it with a Chain Roller, Tajik dies. You're right. Yeah. So like what what you what don't card have do you to want? attack into chain whirlers? Oh, you'd rather send your one ones into this chain whirler. You'd rather get your one ones chain whirler than have a three two that could affect the board that could get first strike and battle with it and could give another creature a counter. 
it's, it's all just conditional. Like on pure power level, Tajik is worse than this card. I would say before right. I move on, a bit of a spoiler to my list is that Legion Warboss also on mine. And I like I think that people are just so underrating this card. People slept on Rabble Master when it came out, and this card just is Goblin Rabble Master. This card attacks for one damage the turn it comes down, five damage the next turn, and then seven damage the next. That's only one less per turn than Rabble Master does. It just ends the game so quickly. I'm very happy Elliot learned to read in the past five minutes because he's finally making sense. Maybe he doesn't understand what Assassin's Trophy does because the picture is a little ugly, but like this war boss is really good and it's definitely better than Tadric. Just remember what side of history you're on, Derek. Oh, I'm ready to eat my words when I am wrong, but I am never wrong. So you can put that in writing. I'm going to go to my second card now. <laughs> it's um, Chemistry's Insight. That card's good. It's Glimmer of Genius, but twice. Um, my third card is Pelt Collector. I think that is a good lad. And I think that card will be the bane of Control Deck's existences. existence. Uh, I think you're going to have a lot of Control Decks trying to beat a Pelt Collector and a lot of Control Decks trying to beat um, other Control Decks or mid-range decks with Assassin's Trophy. And they're going to be built so poorly that they can't do both. And Pelt Collector on itself is just a purely powerful card. Uh, and I can see it really actually warping a standard format. Am I allowed to go to my fourth card now? Well, Spoiler just, alert for my list. I also have Pelt Collector because that card's also bonkers. Yeah, that card's pretty good. Even it was pretty close to making my a, list. A fifth oh. through eighth very good one drop to play alongside Atlanta where else is going to just completely push it over the edge, I think. This is my That's favorite fun. segment ever. This is one of my favorite segments we've ever done, so uh, we're going to run this back for sure. Go ahead, Derek. All right, my fourth card is uh, Plague Catcher. Plague Caster. It's the, the Fleshbag Marauder, but it also hits Planeswalkers. And if your opponent doesn't have a creature or a Planeswalker in play, they discard a card. It's so like you sacrifice a creature or Planeswalker, they sacrifice a creature or Planeswalker, and if they can't, they discard a card. I think this card is really sweet. And I expect to see it in every black sideboard uh, or even a couple in the main deck. I think that this card is just really, really good. Yeah, I do, I do really like this card. My my concern is that like there's not a lot of things you want to sack with it. So like you're you're kind of getting this strange to the slaughter edict effect that uh, is like with some upside and some downsides too. But I think it, overall it's fine. I think like I really love this card. This is what I'm all about. That little bit of advantage you could get, my man. But uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't know if you want to be playing top this card. 20, if, if 40, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be playing that card if your main plan is to sacrifice it to itself. I think that's a little pricey for that effect. Uh, I think that, you know, if you're playing some weird black aggro deck where you're going to have a, a dumb idiot to sacrifice that you are okay exchanging for their card, then maybe you can play it, but I don't see this as a top five card. It might be a player, but you have to have something else to sacrifice. And that's, that's a pretty high cost, I think. I mean, like maybe, maybe I should define my top five cards. I think each of these cards I've talked about will be consistently played in a standard deck throughout the format, and that standard deck will be competitive or competitively good at some point in the format. 
Like I could see this plague caster, catcher, whatever it's called, top eighting a Grand Prix. But I could not see that stupid is it counterspell top eighting a Grand Prix because that card's unplayable. The people who are casting it probably also can't do combat math. They're like, oh, two damage? Good thing you started the game at 20 and not two. <laughs> you know, like they just don't understand how to attack properly. You got a bad brain, kid. I can't think straight. <laughs> At least I put an Assassin's Trophy in my top five. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's my five. Top five, top five. Okay, so a couple of my top five were kind of spoiled. I did have Pelt Collector and Legion War Boss, which we already talked about. Uh, the first card that was on my top five was Aurelia Exemplar of Justice. I think this card is absolutely bonkers in both the red-white aggro deck that Andy was talking about that plays Tajik. If that exists, I think it's bonkers alongside Legion Warboss. And I think it's especially like insane with Lyra. If you play Aurelia on turn four and then Lyra on turn five, uh, you just get to attack for five. Five with lifelink and vigilance. Aurelia, by the way, is a, a two-five uh, flying with Mentor, and it costs two red-white. At the beginning of your combat, give target red creature you control plus two plus O, and target white creature you control vigilance. And it can target itself with both of them. So it, its worst possible mode is a 4-5 flying vigilance mentor, which, like, that's just such a high bottom side. And then you have the upside, you can give your Lyra vigilance, you can give your red creature that you're trying to kill them with plus two plus O, you can give that the red-white two-drop that has double strike plus two plus so all of a sudden you're attacking for six it's just it's just all upside the card is bonkers yeah it's, I had, it's slow it's very slow i had this card in my top five over tajik at first and then i came to my senses i slowly realized that this card is not as good as tajik but uh i i really like your your thing like if i play my four mana creature and then my five mana creature and they both live my opponent will take five today. Lifelink. That's a combination. It's, just, it's such a huge swing. Like, they can die later, but, you know, if they kill the Lyra, then... You Why have- die later when you can die now? We all die later. But they have to answer both of them. They're both such huge, heavy-hitting threats. You know, if they kill the Aurelia, they have to deal with the Lyra. If they kill the Lyra, they have to deal with the Aurelia. And you're only allowed to play so much removal... You have to be playing a creature at some no, point. You're really allowed to play eight. Creatures you're have really flying. Eight removals. Eight removals in your deck. No more removals. You better not have more than eight threats. You'll lose. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't wait to win Montreal. The, the best part is that there's more cards, Derek. He's not done. There's more? <laughs> oh, okay. The next card on our list is Doom Whisperer which is three black black for a 6-6 six, six flying trample that has pay to life surveil to. I think that of all the cards that should have been auto-included in lists, this is snap number one. This card's better in standard than Assassin's Trophy. It's not even close. The black decks are going to play four of this and four of Rastus Contempt and 52 swamps for all I care because that's all you need. This card just like draws, effectively draws you a card each time you pay to life with the power of Surveil just finding you the cards you need. If you're I, behind and it dies, you can dig to the answer that you need to catch back up. If you're ahead or, or kind of in a stalemate, you can 
pay a couple, maybe two, four life in your upkeep, get exactly what you need to keep going, and Frasca's Contempt just gets you the life back to keep surveilling. This card's bonkers also. I'll agree. I think this card is good. I think your card evaluation on Surveil, though, is, is a little off. Because, like, Surveilling 2 is not drawing a card. <laughs> it's milling two cards. And there's no real benefit for you to do that. So, like, you're right. Sometimes it gets you what you want. But you also just can't willy-nilly mill your whole library to hit a card. And, like, or you just make it game actions when, when this happens. Like, it comes into play. I need to mill my library to hit another one. So if my opponent kills this one, I can mill my library again. It's the new Squadron Hawk. Yeah. Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into evaluating the, the value of Scry two or Surveil two with someone who didn't understand the looter problem for a year and a half, okay? Yeah, but I understand it now. I am learning. I just gave you a bunch of really good information and you're not learning. So Okay. Mm. The reason Surveil two is worth a card, because surveilling two improves the average quality of your draw that over enough sample sizes is worth just drawing a card. If you surveil two over enough games, you'll have improved your draw step by enough that it's like drawing a card when you replace the land you were going to draw with a spell of substance. So every time I surveil, I'll always hit what I want because on average, it's going to be great. No, it's worth approximately drawing a card because when you, if you are looking for a, a, a gas spell and say your deck has 20 cards that you want to draw at this point. You have either, you know, 20 removal spells or heavy hitting creatures. Hi, hi. One third of your deck. Long, you get long, to... long time watcher, first time commenter. Yeah, I have a question. If I yeah. have four cards in my hand and I surveil two, how many cards are in my hand afterwards? It's not my fault that you don't understand card no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. You just sorry. do it in your upkeep. Did you I, do did it I... in your upkeep before you draw a card and it improves the quality of your draw. Do you not so, understand that? Sir, I have a question. If I have four cards in my hand and I scry two, afterwards, how many cards are in my hand? It's still four, okay? But, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. okay so if I, if I surveil two in my upkeep and I have four cards in my hand, how many cards do I have in my hand in my upkeep? Derek, you're not this I, Come on. You're, you're very dumb. <laughs> You claim to understand the looter problem, but you don't understand how scrying and surveilling improving the average quality of your draw is virtual card advantage. Uh, Kale Thompson, KT Money in the chat says, uh, it might approach drawing a card if you're using those graveyard cards somehow. Elliot, uh, why couldn't you think of that? Look, I, I think the average viewer of the First Strike podcast is pretty savvy. I think they can understand that when the, the release notes say the Dimir Surveil mechanic is for Graveyard Synergies, and this card says Surveil on it, that you can put the two together. But I'm saying you don't even need Graveyard Synergies for this to be an effective card. Elliot, let, <laughs> let me paint you a picture. So what I've gathered from your top five is that you love having your four and five mana cards living. What if I told you that decks were allowed to play two mana unconditional removal spells that kill everything? <laughs> They're all creatures too. Like you, you didn't even think of the glimmer of genius. That card actually draws you two cards. And I'm not even done my list. I'm not even done my list. I got another one. I wish Is it on the done. list? 
Is it a creature? Is it a fucking not a creature? <laughs> is it Vraska? Please don't tell me it's Vraska. <laughs> well, last card, Sinister Sabotage, which you can you can write this down. Make a note on your calendar behind you, Car. Sinister Sabotage is the best cancel we've had since Forbid. This card's absolutely nuts. I thought that Dissolve was insane just because you let the control decks smooth out its draws and string everything together. Except now you can Sinister Sabotage your your uh, your Chemist's Insight in your graveyard. You can Sinister Sabotage all the cards you don't care about and get some additional value along the way. The best cancel since Forbid. I can't wait for people to put the Sinister Sabotage in their deck, counter the wrong spell, and then mill incorrectly. Because this card is going to be so difficult to play perfectly that it's not going to be a good card. And anybody who puts this card in their deck is just like, on average, going to be making a play mistake. Not to mention that this card's worse than Disallow, I think. Derek, Derek did you, you play Gates instead of Temples? Did you, you think that Spy like Spy is a downside? Is Spying one out of Temple downside because you might make the wrong decision? Yeah, I think that I think that's a serious thing people should consider. Is like you you shouldn't play control decks because you'll make the wrong decision. And I think people thinking that this card is good is gonna provide them to make the wrong decision. Not to mention, like, disallowing a Chandra ultimate was actually a very valid line if you're the control deck in the old format. And one of the best ways to beat a control deck is to uh is to have a planeswalker in play. I think the fact that this card just is really bad against uh, like one drops like Pelt Collector, other random things like that makes me believe that this card is just not very good. Like it, it might, it, I think it's the same as Disallow. Unless you can abuse it. And I don't think you can. Scrying as a downside is a, a new low for you, Derek. <laughs> Listen, I am never wrong. All right. Uh, this card's good. I don't think it's, it's top five. It's, it, it surveils. It's too hard to play. It can't be good. Look, by the way, surveil one, drawing half a card. Okay, no, it's not. Drawing half a card! <laughs> Elliot really likes the unsets. Elliot's favorite format is Uncube, where he gets together with his friends on the weekend and talks about how six, six, six sixes for five are just busted. You can try your whole library for two lives. I'm loving these lists and the hot takes because, uh, Give it a few months, and uh, we gotta re- revisit all all these top fives. I'm I'm super happy that they're they're different. So uh... Derek will be drowning in hate mail. <laughs> Elliot will be so forgotten. He'll I never mean, be invited back after this. Out of out of like your guys' cards that I that we didn't agree on, I would say like the majority of them are, are relatively correct. Except for your blue red counter spell, oh. everything else is fine. I actually like the six six demon. I think that that's one of the most underrated cards in the set. I think a lot of people are sleeping on it. Uh, I think I think it would be my sixth. It's it's not very obvious, and it's pretty good. Wow, should have done this uh, done this segment more, but maybe it's just this set. Maybe it's just this uh, September set that's always uh, got some fire in it. Loving the segment. I, and uh, Derek, I, I forgot to bring up uh, our boy, Travis Sowers. Um, when we're talking about Ben Stark keeping one-landers, probably like Travis Sowers probably coached him. Yeah, like, like what, are you, what are you doing? Stop keeping one-landers. 
man. Have you played Model Red? Would you say that you you wouldn't keep one liners even with that deck? I know it's like contextual. You might like it's it's hard to say because obviously Ben if Ben's deck is very tiered to like play a one land deck. The problem is if you miss on your second land by turn three, which is sort of the threshold where I'm like, uh, can I still win this game against a deck like Black Black Red? Uh, I just can't do it. That deck has so many X ones, and you already get blown out by Chain Whirler, and their threats are already more powerful than yours. So if you can't cast your spells by turn three, and your opponent's curving you out, you're never winning. So like, how many one landers can you really keep, right? Uh, like, I would keep a one lander on the six on the scry, or I would keep a one lander on seven on the draw. But I would probably never keep one lander on the play because uh, if you miss that second land, you're just never winning. What what does it top top out at with uh, some amount of hazard in the main? Yeah, I think I think it was three hazard in the main, but like you also, I think he had uh, Urshir Kender, right? So he he had like six mana. Um, he could do things with six mana, and but the majority of the deck like is meant to uh, to build on like one mana, right? Like you have the wizards, you have your wizards lightning, and then you have like your shocks, and then from you go like lightning strike, Urshir Kenra, and then chain roller at three. Well, by the time you hit four mana, you should have no cards in hand when you're casting Hazard. But if you're just keeping keeping one landers, I don't know what's going on there. All right. Um, so let's just wrap up the show. Um, I don't know with this talk of of you know Jerry protesting. There's always the the horizon of, of the upcoming games and people are already hyped about artifact and then planning to work together or someone even approached me um to say to ask me advice on how to build an artifact content site so people are, are that hyped about it and uh yeah there's all these other games and i remember i think the first maybe you guys were following it but the first championship for soul forge or something was i think there was a big cash prize for it for some of these tournaments and then they they all eventually faded i know that the upcoming uh, championship because of jerry of, of for shadowverse the first place prize is going to be like there's a million dollars there's over a million dollars prize pool of course hard to know and say how long these games will last usually they tend to have this big uh, starting this huge tournament just to promote people to play, play the game and I guess to give up on it once they see like not enough people are playing or something and uh, move on. So exciting times to see what the, the future of esports and uh, Magic the Gathering brings us. Um, so uh, which one of you guys are playing pre-releases? Nope. I'll nobody? play on Magic Online. I'll play mm-hmm. probably a bunch. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably... Online. I'm going to draft a bit, yeah. <laughs> online? Oh, definitely online, yeah. I've been requested to go to the, the face-to-face pre-release. So maybe. Why? Maybe I'll see their car. By who? Uh, someone I work with told me to come come check it out. So Why? I because might be they're there. a great store, car. They're our sponsor. <laughs> yeah, I might drive up there myself. I don't think the, the hike's that far. Just an extra week? Yeah. Face-to-face games for all your pre-release needs. Um, yeah, speaking of face-to-face, okay, I'll, I'll do a secret giveaway for people that who have listeners or watchers who have made it this far. Um, I won't write about the giveaway uh, outside of this, but I'll, I'll say it here. You're going to 
get a chance to win some face-to-face game store credit from yours truly. List in the YouTube comments your top five and uh, make sure to give this video a thumbs up, a like, subscribe to the channel. Uh, you, you won't have to do that. Actually, no, I'll make that a requirement. You'll have to do that to enter the contest. I'll check once I uh, pick one of the comments randomly. List your top five for constructed, constructed top five and see. Um, hopefully they're different from the list from these three. And I'll just pick a winner. So for Andy, Ellie, and Derek, and, and myself, we're going to see you next week right after the pre-release, after these guys have played some online and maybe real life. And we'll break it all down before GP Montreal. See you next time, guys. Thank you.